Hi everybody, Andrew the Editor here. Unfortunately, in today's episode, there were some unforeseen audio glitches, and while we've isolated the issue and done our best to mitigate the damages, you will undoubtedly notice some drops in audio quality this episode. We apologize and hope you'll enjoy the episode regardless. Thank you. Just to be clear, in the movie, he wasn't divorced. He just said, I need some space. Welcome back to Sci-Fi Cross-Sections. Uh, today we're going to be talking about Ad Astra, but before we begin jumping into that, I want to go around the table to say who's here, because, as always, we fluctuate in cast, and we have uh, the return of a prodigal son. We found our dad floating around in space <laughs> after all. Now, now a special guest. Oh boy. I, uh, I, I hope I'm not really a dad. I well, I can't answer that. Yeah, right. <laughs> can't you, son? Have, do we do we even have any episodes up of you? Like, or are you yeah. just completely uh, yeah, new to our fan base? So yeah, yeah. Um, this is this is Eric. Uh, first six, seven episodes. Yeah, about that. I don't think they're yeah. currently up. Oh, on yeah, sound. they're not up right yeah. now. Yeah. We'll figure oh, that out. Yeah. The RSS feed. The lost. When episodes. you left, we kind of yeah. purged those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We need right. to keep a certain air quality. Thanks, binge. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> and to continue. Uh, this is Mark Bopker. Jason. I am Ben Young. Andrew's back. The return of... Bill Jarvis. Making and of people course, record on a Monday. It's me, Colin. Um, we got a lot of people here today. We do, which we got a lot to talk about, so let's jump right into it. So we're going to talk about Ad Astra, written and directed by James Gray. Uh, also written by Ethan Gross. Not really familiar with what he's done. I don't know if any of you have. Ethan Gross or James Gray? Ethan Gross. Either. I don't know. I don't know. Let's look it up. Uh, well, while you're doing <laughs> that, um, the cast is Brad Pitt as Roy McBride, Tommy Lee Jones as Clifford McBride. I didn't pick up on his first name when I was watching the movie, but Heath every, Clifford. McBride. Every time I say Clifford, it makes me laugh. I don't know why. Uh, Donald Sutherland playing Colonel Pruitt. That's who that was. I was like looking yeah, at him. I'm yeah. like, what is, he's been in everything. What's his name? Donald Sutherland. Keeper's dead. Keeper's dead. Keeper's, yeah. If and dead. Ruth Mega playing Helen uh, Lantos, I believe her name is. Liv Tyler, which I love that she's listed prominently in the cast. Right. But she's at like two speaking lines and a couple flashbacks, but uh, she plays Eve McBride, the. Like, I don't know if they're divorced. I think they are. Either divorced mm -hmm. or separated. Or separated. Yeah, that's what I got. Uh, wife of Roy McBride. Maybe uh, divorce doesn't exist in whatever year they're in. Before we get in... Well, I guess we could do the synopsis now, if, Ben, if you're ready. Yeah, I just wanted to say James Gray comes to us from uh, such great hits as The Immigrant and... Um, we Own the Night, which is interesting. I love Immigrant. I'm sorry, that's that's James Gray. Did I say Ethan Gross? No. no. James, you, you said James Gray. The Immigrant, the one with uh, Saoirse Ronan? Uh, I think uh, yeah no Marion Cotillard. It's the one he about the Vikings. He also did the City of Z or Ethan, something like that. Ethan comes from comes to us from Fringe mostly. Looks like this was his big break. So there you go. Yeah, I got a synopsis for you. I didn't write it, That's but okay. I found a guy who wrote a good one. 
His name's Andy Howell from Gizmodo. He's wrote a wonderful article tearing apart at Astra that I okay, thought was so a fantastic read. We just, we just want the synopsis. No, it's, yeah. it's a good synopsis. I don't believe his name. He, he, link he, on the he, Facebook for he enjoyed the movie. It was a very, uh, it was a scientific look at oh, how right. it how it did and it did very very badly but the movie he's like the movie's good but it's science is not sound yeah. anyway I'll, I'll bleep the name uh andy howell from gizmodo they don't need any more publication anyway i'm about to read a synopsis so you have to <laughs> in ad astra what? He's shaking his head. <laughs> Read the thing. In Ad Astra, astronaut Roy McBride, played by Brad Pitt, is serving on a communications tower that extends above the atmosphere when an explosion from space causes a catastrophic cat catastrophe. Wow, I sucked. <laughs> causes a catastrophe. Space Command informs him that his father, Clifford McBride, played by Tommy Lee Jones, thought dead for 16 years, may still be alive out at Neptune and may have something to do with the explosion. Roy must travel to the moon and then Mars to send a message to his father. Along the way, he has to do battle with moon pirates, space monkeys, incompetent astronauts, the secret of Space Command, and his own personal demons. Oh, I, I thought that was well written. Pretty concise. Yeah, I liked it. It was a good scene. Mine was more concise, but I liked Ben's. Ben's was better. We'll post yours I liked, on the I podcast liked, Facebook page. I like Space sure. Monkeys. I think that's the only reason I wanted to say it. Yeah, well, honestly, throwing space in front of anything just makes it sound better. Oh, yeah. Cool. yeah, make space your space case. case. Uh, yeah, in fact, space I think werewolves. at one point in my notes, I wrote, awesome chase sequence involving lunar space combat ensues. Space combat. Space combat. Space chase. I think lunar space combat was even better. Um, mm -hmm. Okay, so... Yeah, lunar space uh, chase combat. A couple things about this movie. The budget was $80 million. Um jumped up to well over a hundred million after the reshoots. I guess they did an early screening and it didn't uh, sit too well with the screeners. I could see that happening. <clears throat> so yeah, they reshoot. Brad Pitt wasn't even available for the reshoots. They just added more stuff. Hmm. I don't know. Add Astro. Yeah. So the movie <laughs> uh, starts out with um, Roy on this communication tower antenna. I think they referred mm -hmm. to it as. Uh, massive, massive thing that shoots all the way up into the uh, upper atmosphere of Earth. Uh, we get these power surges that are coming out of nowhere. Uh, tower starts blowing up. Uh, astronauts are flying all over the place. Well, falling all over the place, I should say. Including our uh, hero, Brad Pitt. Uh, right off the bat, this sequence blew me away, visually. Mm -hmm. Um my heart was racing. Good space. Break. I was nervous. Yeah, I, I was. I was nervous for the character and for what was going on. Uh, what did you guys think? Yeah, I mean, it gave me really strong gravity vibes right off the bat. Yeah, yeah. like on the edge of my seat, but sinking in at the same time. Like, oh my god, oh my god, this is all going to go bad. I saw that in the trailer, and I was like, oh, so he doesn't die. It's a dream, and it never connected in my head that it was a. Uh, that he has a parachute i was like i was like well he's dead or it's a dream when i saw the trailer and then when i saw it, i was like he's he's not dreaming how is he getting out of this oh he's a parachute of course yeah well you think seems... of it as like a spacesuit. It, i mean right exactly you wouldn't think that he's he needs a parachute but that's a that's a legitimate thing and mm -hmm. uh it's basically he jumped from like the same height that the dude who did in the 50s from the well, that was orbit. like when it shows him coming out the door and then going down the ladder. That's like, oh, that, they that definitely I that's what that. they were going for. I, I have really. like an intense fear of heights. So. Mm. Well, yeah. yeah, that whole sequence reminded me of the, uh, I forget his first name, but Baumgartner, 
a guy who, you know, because that was kind of the cool thing. It was, uh, at least to me, with it looked, because I watched the footage of that when he did that a few years ago. I think it was like a Red Bull thing or something Yeah, like same that. thing, low-earth orbit. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was kind of cool because right off the bat, it established the look of the movie as kind of, and I know they didn't quite get uh, some of the hard sci-fi stuff that they were going for accurate, but the look of it, I think, was very grounded in what what could we really achieve you know, in the the near future. Mm-hmm. I thought it was kind of cool with that whole, like, orbital, well, not orbital, but, uh, like, antenna, you know, kind of going to the heavens. Um, I forget what media I saw it, and I want to see it was, like, a Halo game. They did it in uh, one space. of the kill zones. It was, like, a space elevator. Yeah, it was, like, a space yeah, elevator, a space exactly. Yeah, and I've always thought that was just so cool because, I mean, it makes sense, you know, if we got to that point where we were trying to, you know, kind of use something that's higher than... Earth's bounds as like kind of a jumping off point for space travel. Right. Really, that's realistic. Combustion I mean, to get up to yeah. know, the upper atmosphere is going to get expensive in the long term. So, yeah. So, <laughs> for me, I mean, the sequence itself, I thought it was really cool and it really helped kind of establish the tone of the film right away. But for me, it was more the visual tone and kind of the science uh, based kind of approach that they were going to take. Like I said, whether or not they achieved it, whatever, but it was a little bit more grounded. <laughs> than, you know, some other films, I guess we would see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so from there, uh, he does end up making it to Earth safely. I hope so. Kind of safely. Uh, but I think it also set an important uh, element for the character going forward. Is it shows that under pressure, he he keeps his, his cool. Uh, he, like, buries everything and just stays really calm throughout... Uh, I guess, just crazy situations. And from there, he apparently quickly recovers and is brought to a briefing with Space Command and he's given a mission. First off, he's told his father might be alive. Um, After being MIA for... 16 years, I well, believe. Well, he was gone for 16 years and then he was gone for like another 20 or so. Yeah. Like he was yeah. MIA for like 20. Yeah, it was 20, like 30 yeah. years total. Yeah. How long did you all get the impression that uh, Space Brad was out of commission for? Like between day. falling yeah. and... Maybe and, a day. Yeah, being debriefed a day. Yeah. Yeah, it was right on the coattails of that. Yeah. that yeah. It wasn't long. It was definitely less than a week. They showed like the elastic bandage, and I know they they meant to give some idea of like you know he's taken a period of rest or a period of you know recovery here, but yeah, okay. Um, right off the bat, so at this point, what's standing out for me is the aesthetic of well, I guess this near future Earth. It's just super austere and cold. The room that they're in, it feels like I'm. In the 1960s Soviet boardroom or something. Uh, I don't know. It's a very bleak future they were trying to portray in a way. I disagree. I got that. Um, oh, it was bleak yet prosperous. How, well, how, how, how was it bleak? It was just a f- professional boardroom. Yeah, it was a I don't think, I think, facility. No, I think that's <clears throat> being read into a little too no. much. And also to say they took a lot from the 1960s. Well, what what I gathered from it is that it's old because they don't invest their worth into that kind of shit anymore. It's that space is what this, what's important now. It seemed like, oh, that's something straight out of the 80s or the 70s. That's, it, has, it clearly has not been repurposed. Once again, we're probably reading into that. 
Maybe. I just space 80s. It, I don't know. I just, I found it really just cold and... I do appreciate that uh, aesthetic they were going for. Um, I mean, the... I like the grounded in reality, near future kind of look to what a lot of our modern sci-fi has been. I think they hit the nail on the head in this one. That's what I love, too. That was perfect. Like, with whatever they're doing with, you know, whatever Jeff Bezos is doing with what, whatever Elon Musk is doing, they took a lot of the ideas from there, like uh, like having a um, a launching point from the moon. That was a really cool idea to me. Like, the fact that, you know, you take a shuttle, you know, all the way up to the moon, and then you launch out from there because it makes sense. Because you spend 24 times less fuel launching from the moon. So it was like, okay, this makes sense. This really makes sense to me and it's feasible. I think keeping the, um, keeping the setting feasible really gets you immersed. I think that, you know, if it was too futuristic, if everything was stainless steel, it would just feel not good. It would just not feel like immersive. I love how immersive and real it felt. And if everything's stainless steel, you gotta have stainless steel and chrome. You gotta have your fingerprint cleaning crew. That's true. Which is a whole budget of its own. You gotta buff <laughs> everything. <laughs> no, I do agree with you. There was like there was a way that uh, by being grounded and not being all futuristic, you lost, you forgot that it was a future film for for moments in time, which helped you connect with it. I I, uh, I do love the little. It's like a commercial flight to the moon that he's taking. Yes. Um, which I thought was great because that honestly Atlantic. probably what a commercial flight to the moon would look like, uh, <laughs> including the uh, $150 hot for blankets. For blankets and then the hot towel. Who knows what that charge? No, no, no. The hot towel was complimentary. Oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> the, the, the Can't sell that yeah. shit. Yeah, I, no, that, was, that was great. Um, and then when he gets to the moon, who, who pointed it out? Jason, was it you that was like, did you see the... Was it like a Chili's or something? Or oh, yeah. 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 There's, there's a whole thing I want to go there into was a on that. I don't know if we're doing it yet, though. I didn't if we're doing it, it at the end, we'll do guys, it. Guys, well, didn't we all agree that we were murdering Applebee's? How is it still here? I was going to say, this <laughs> movie immediately... I definitely I, saw a Hardee's or a Carl's itself. Jr. There was a Subway. Everybody yeah, knows it, in a plausible future, Applebee's has been banned from the Earth. So it can only operate on the got to go to the wild, wild west of the space. Well, so I don't know if we if we want to like necessarily <laughs> dance around it. But to me, a lot of the meat of the movie, and I think we could talk about like the production value and the, the aesthetic of the movie and just how it looks and everything else. But that, I mean, if we're kind of going chronologically, like the whole moon scene to me is a really big chunk of thematically, I think what the movie's trying to say. And to me, you know, that the, the moon's a shopping mall, basically that's yeah. what, that's what they turned it into. So uh, to me, immediately you know i think the, the setup of the movie it was interesting you know okay science fiction kind of taking a harder sci-fi bent uh, as far as the look and as far as kind of how space travel works and everything else but when you get to the moon and then you see it looks like a concourse of an airport and you're seeing subway and you're seeing applebee's and you know uh, especially with a lot of the monologuing that brad pitt's character was doing it to me man has now we've escaped the bounds of earth but we've sucked the wonder out of you know the moon yeah and now it's mundane you know we turn it into uh, not even to get to what happens what? later where you've got you know the moon pirates and say, everything else the, like that is but the moon really mundane i mean mm, on the surface a, a mad a mad max-esque but also car chase <laughs> also is there anything wrong with that i'd argue 
because I think making the fantastic mundane is kind of what science is all about. And that, oh my God, that's a good point. Yeah, science and is so, awful that way. Like, like Roy criticizes it when he's at his lowest, I think. And he, I, I think we're supposed to, at least the way I took it was that he was being cynical about the whole thing. Not, not maybe, maybe with a dash of realism. But I think he was being cynical about it all, thinking like like an old timer, like, man, way back in my day, I used to look at the moon and think, wouldn't it be crazy to live on there? And now there's a Hardee's, so I hate it. And like, I, I think that he, he, we shouldn't really like I, a lot of what Roy says, I don't really care like I care about. But I'm like, you're untrustworthy. You're unreliable. I don't his narration is there in a personal level not in a story level he's not he's not just some voiceless narrator or faceless narrator he's he's giving it it's his thoughts that we're working off of well i I wouldn't say i'm sorry i wouldn't say he's necessarily unreliable unless you're not talking about that in a specific just kind of genre way but uh he's not in he is not a definition textbook unreliable narrator right yeah yeah, we're definitely in his field of vision like we're everything in this movie is processed through his lens like there's not anything that happens in this movie that isn't processed through his right lens what i what i meant was that he's not he he's not an objective narrator when when the movie starts his composure makes you it like leads you to believe that he is narrating it you know scientifically objectively in a way while also being the main character but as his emotion starts to come through you're realizing that the narrative has been in his purview the whole time. Like, yeah, we, we should point that out. Failed to do so before, but uh, these kind of like these benchmarks or check-ins all throughout the film, where he has to put this little device on his neck and actually go through like a psychological evaluation. Because um, a big part of where they are in um, with space travel is you have to be deemed psychologically capable of it. You're um, susceptible to the space madness. Right. Well, it was kind of interesting with that, and it, to me, it kind of harkened back to uh, Blade Runner twenty forty nine, because it was a similar uh, like framing device that they used in that, which I thought was cool, and that kind of came back full force with this. That you know they're trying to measure his psychological fitness throughout the course of the movie, and I think what we just discussed, you know, that that first scene when he's falling from the giant ass space antenna, his heart is like you know 50 60 bpms mine's like 85 just sitting here right now so the fact that he's you know 60 bpms as he's free falling from he's fallen from space you're on a podcast (laughs) i think you've got a little bit more hard than he does (laughs) come on but um it it was cool because i like how they kept coming back to that so i mean they use that as a really strong kind of uh, framing device that periodically throughout the movie as he's experiencing all this stuff they're kind of testing where he's at. And I think it's pretty telling, which I'm sure we'll get into that part of it, but it's pretty telling that, you know, when the, the dad asterisk stuff starts coming up, <laughs> it's, you know, that's when his heart rate finally breaks the 80 and it's prominent, prominent enough that they pointed out, they've got the machine, you know, the EKG that he's hooked to and it shows his blood pressure spiking and you can tell he's physically distraught. Um, the one thing before we move on, I just want to say, And we can discuss it later, but I think there's a lot in this movie that's a critique, which is one of the reasons that I enjoyed the movie so much. I think, you know, you can read into it as like, this is how humanity is kind of destined to, you know, spread amongst the planets and the stars and whatever. But I think part of what the movie's trying to say, or at least part of what Gray's 
kind of positing here is that are we really ready to explore the stars or to kind of leave the bounds of Earth if we're going to put a shopping mall on the moon? So, oh, come I'm, on. I'm, I'm, no. So, hey. no, I'm sorry, Colin. I need to respond to that really quickly, please. I feel like I'm a moderator at a debate, but <laughs> Senator, you have Listen. 30 seconds. Listen. That, that Listen, is it's such happening. an airheaded, like woke quote-unquote point of view there's nothing wrong with putting a shopping mall on the moon there's nothing wrong with putting a shopping mall on the mars as long as there's no applebee's there that's a one misstep <laughs> but the, the you you fantasize about things and you you mythicize things but if you never make it mundane is you can't always mythicize the moon and yet still live on it yes you can no, you do you mythicize your neighborhood, Miller? Yeah, honestly, I don't I'm even know sure any of my does. neighbors. <laughs> they literally could be magical wizards, and I would know. Do you know. walk out the door every day and go, Senator Young? Mm, Senator Young, this is great. Well, Senator Young, we have to move no. on. So, as a counter to that, uh, another thing you know we haven't quite gotten to it yet, but <laughs> Governor you, Jason, you have fifteen. You seconds. look well. No, you look at the whole sequence on the moon. So. You land on the moon and, you know, it's the moon shopping mall, airport, whatever. And I spent a lot of time in airports last month and it, that was a, it was an airport, you know, it was really kind of like, holy shit, you know, that was some interesting set design or interesting choices. <laughs> but then when you get to the space pirate scene, which was great, I thought, what a great action set piece, you know, in a movie where I wasn't really expecting it. What a mm -hmm. great scene. Um, but what kind of struck me then is that there's all this talk of, there's resource wars taking place and these proxy wars taking place on the moon over resources. So now we've taken kind of our human condition or at least symptoms of our human condition on Earth. We've brought that to the moon. We're bringing it to Mars. We've brought it further out. I wouldn't have cut you off if you would have just started there. <laughs> so, I agree with so, that. So it all ties like, into it. Acting like, like storefronts no store of the downfall of humanity is just Well, no. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't take it that far. But what I'm saying is... It's an extension. I think that's what the film's yeah. trying to say is, so is there anything wrong with commercialism or turning everything into a shopping mall or everything into some, you know, capitalist playground thing? Like, no, I'm not saying that necessarily, but I think when, you know, you you have part A being that and then part B being what we see 10 minutes later in the film, I think it's, at least to me, was obvious that they're trying to make some sort of statement on, okay, we're, we're going to bring this with us anywhere we go, at least mm -hmm. how we're currently going. Yeah. Maybe it's not our ultimate reality or ultimate end goal if we can kind of change our ways or look at ourselves but that's not where this timeline wound up yeah if you actually read the interviews um with gray and honestly brad pitt was a huge producer for this he, he really drove this movie forward um what they were trying to convey what they were trying to talk about changed as they made the movie it started out with just like kind of a look in what the future of you know space travel and man in the stars is going to look like and it developed into something completely different but we're going to get into that aspect of dad astra in a little bit here um basically so, all human achievement was building to an applebee's on the moon <laughs> <laughs> good point ben. okay there's the cast so, i mean done. i don't want to so live on the moon we, if i can't have unlimited apps we, we, <laughs> we've hinted at it um but yeah we get this awesome car chase space pirate uh, Mad Max-esque fight going on as they are moving from this shopping mall of the moon and they're actually heading out to a more militaristic 
base on the dark side of the moon's secret, where they have to get on their rocket, which is going to propel them towards Mars. What, what is it? The uh, the Cepheus? Cepheus? Yes. 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 Which I actually looked up the meaning for it. And yes, Cepheus is a father in Greek mythology. <laughs> no, shocker! <laughs> that was the one thing, like, I did earmark that I wanted to look that up, and I yep. didn't. Yep. Uh, All the research so, into this, yep. I did. Another and level the one thing I forgot to do. <laughs> so Brad Pitt rides his dad rocket. Oh, <laughs> there's a lot of imagery in this movie. All right, there's a lot of imagery. So, I thought the the fight was astounding. Just a not a lot of sound going on because obviously it's and thank God. I thought the sound design was oh, it was a wet dream of mine. Like that was yeah. so good. I think we can talk about it at the end. But Ugh. the soundtrack to this movie, it's basically. All Space of the noise. noise in this movie is the soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that yeah, what they not did? Much, there's not much isn't that what they did for? Maybe I not remember it correctly, but Gravity wasn't that a, not a huge Gravity. Score? There's no music after the first 15 minutes, right? And, until like she's back on Earth. Until she starts going down. Yeah, yeah. That's brilliant. Anyways, we're not talking about Gravity though, even though there are. This movie is Gravity. If Gravity was good. <laughs> Why do you insist on starting <laughs> off-topic fights? <laughs> we're going to get into that later. Opinions. I actually want Ben and Miller to do are their gonna own episode. Like a, are we going to start a sub-show called Topic Fight? Guys, I'm saying it now. Ben and Andrew are doing their own episode on Gravity at another point and release it down the road. Gravity Fight. Space Gravity. Jason and whoever else wants to go, you can be there, but that's... Cool. All right. <laughs> write it down, Ben. Anyways, so we're going on. They make it to uh, this secret base... Uh, there was a um, what do you say? A casualty. Colonel Pruitt sustained. Yeah, do we even introduce his character during this narrative that we're unfolding here? He wasn't mm. important. He, he wasn't like a crux in the entire. So story. Was, he was important. He he was a plot device to deliver the um, which I was going to get to, but um, the realization for Brad Pitt that his father is not. Right, he remembered him being. I never consider plot device important. It's character relationships. You're right. There, there should be a better way to do it. He he served a good purpose in kind of setting Roy off. Like like he's a security blanket. He reminds him of his father, and then would when it comes when he thinks he's about to go to Mars with this dude who will you know keep him safe. He's like, nah, not going to happen, man. You go. And that is like that snap. That's the first letting go, I think, that Roy will experience. And uh, leaving him behind, that probably sets off a lot of the chain events. I think the movie would be very different if Colonel Pruitt came with. You are 100%. <laughs> um, you did definitely need to just shed him. But yeah, he gets uh, hospitalized or whatever. They foreshadow it with his irregular heartbeat whatever uh, but he makes it to the rocket uh cepheus and they launch without a problem um this is when the movie kind of took a different different turn for me not a bad way but uh this is when it got all hard of darkness yeah well <laughs> as i said themes at the end but cool um yes you're right just an offhanded comment. Yes, Sorry. I know. I know. All right. That's fine. So <laughs> I love that they encounter this research ship, <laughs> Norwegian research ship filled with animals. This was very FTL <laughs> to me. If any of you have played FTL, I know Mark has played oh. ex extensively FTL. Yes. Okay. Now that you just said that, it 
Yep. Mm -hmm. That clicks. Like just coming upon like a distress beacon and then just catastrophe. Oh, it's kind of like the first episode of The Expanse. I don't know. You don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I haven't seen it. I'm sorry. Um, what did they say? Oh, right. So they, they get this distress signal. Um, Brad Pitt says, no, fuck the signal. We need to move on. We're a top secret mission of imminent, what, whatever, importance for the human race. We got to move on. For some odd reason, this captain was determined, even though it's a top secret mission, they have to get done. They're going to stop at this narration science well, He's not determined. He's following rules. Yeah. He's a rule boy. But disobeying a direct order from a superior officer. He's not a superior officer on a ship. He's just a passenger. And to be fair, there's a reason these space rules exist. So The captain the captain points out that he could take command if he wanted to, but as it stands, he is not his, direct, his, he is not his superior until he reveals his uh, direct directives. Yeah, he puts the ball in Brad Pitt's court. I forgot about that. Because you're happy to take control and say yeah. no. And but honestly, I don't know what the hang-up was with that. because they. I, I feel like that was important to establishing that uh, Brad Pitt's character was still disconnected with what was going on because he knew that the fate of humanity uh, revolved around him completing this mission and he wasn't willing to just speak up and, and stop this from happening, which he knew was going to be bad. He knew that this wasn't going to go well, and he yeah. wouldn't. He wouldn't stop it. In hell, we could have lost Brad Pitt to the Space Monkeys. Well, <laughs> yeah, that he went. With. That was that was an interesting comment. You you think he went on this mission because to save humanity? No, and I, I, okay, that's I was going to say like that, like he definitely didn't. They like, were touching <laughs> base, saying like he still really doesn't care what happens because right, yeah. forty thousand people had died while he was taking his little shuttle up to the moon. Right, exactly. And he still didn't care. About taking a detour enough to like just but rattle the cage. What I think what you're getting at, at least what I'm reading into what you're saying, is that there's kind of that other thing at play here where it's Brad Pitt's his kind of like professionalism or his dedication to what his job is, even in the face of maybe how he feels. He doesn't feel like he can reveal it out of a sense of duty, even though maybe at that point in time, yeah, like it doesn't really make sense that he's not divulging what his directive is. But at the same time, he feels, you know, okay, I'm. I'm completing my mission. I'm doing this. I mean, that's the the one thing Brad Pitt is through the majority of this film is he's kind of the cool, calm, professional, you know, calculated person, at least on the outside, mm -hmm. not on the inside, certainly. But that is he he just he's like the embodiment of professionalism in the movie. And I think that was another kind of point they were trying to make as far as. Masculinity. Yeah, masculinity. Oh, later. Sorry, later. Themes. No, hold on. Themes. We'll talk Honestly, about it. Save it for the podcast. Jump, jump I, I want to push back on that. I feel like he was. He says that line at the beginning about looking for the exit. I felt like he was professional to the extent that it served him. Like he, the, he was. He wanted to complete the mission, but he was kind of just along for a ride. He was, he was more concerned with the ride that he was taking with his own personal journey than he was with the fate of mankind. It's just, you know, I mean, even more than that, he was obsessed with his dad. Well, That's no, it, it, it wasn't. I think you can still have a sense of professionalism, though, without necessarily caring about the fate of mankind. I don't think he cared about the fate of mankind at all. But I think that he was, it was so ingrained in him from a young age to have this kind of professional um, demeanor. Uh, that that's what you're doing this is your work this is your job you know this is what you're this this is what you do this is your purpose the whole movie for me was a refutation of that it was him coming to a point where he basically said no 
And I think that's where we end up. We won't touch on that yet, but at least that's how I viewed it. I get it. He 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 won't risk his face. Yeah, I get it. Oh yeah, we're gonna yeah, the other guy we're gonna jump into this. Hand his hand. They make it out to uh, the ship. Well, on the on the route, the captain is apologizing. Oh, sorry, I challenged you and all that. I really do respect you and your family and what it's mean for space travel. Blah, oh, blah, a monkey blah. doesn't rip my nose off. Yeah, sure, no, <laughs> so they get on the ship. Obviously, you get the the crazy what the hell's going on vibes. And it starts to put in, like, what kind of movie is this going to be? Right, yeah. Are we going to start to see, like, <clears throat> aliens or, you know, some sort of biological attack that happened on these? Uh, basically, it starts to, yeah, put that image in your head of, it's just a sci-fi horror film that they didn't even really tease about. And when I saw the captain floating there, and you hear like the the, the, juice, the juicy gnawing mastication that's going on, you're like, what the fuck? I was like, this is straight up an alien movie. It's going to be someone eating his face. And then like the, the body shifts, and you just see a pissed off monkey. I, was like, <laughs> I, I didn't believe it for a second. I was so happy. I was like, yes. I was like, I <laughs> that was like that shit's need. not real. Whatever this is, this is a hallucination. Right. Like sequence, bad gas. This is not in the movie Ad Astra. Like, I don't know what I'm dealing with right now. Right. And then the monkey charged. Yeah. And it's like, what? I was smiling during that whole sequence. Oh, it's Just because I was, it was happy wild, that it wasn't man. an alien. That, that was the only sequence in the film that really was, like, just goofy for me. Like, and I, again, I think just like everything, it had a purpose. And I, I, I guess I have my own interpretation of what that purpose is. So, like, I'm not against it, but just uh, tonally, it was really kind of odd because it just shifted from, you know, one extreme to the other. And I mean, it was it was a fun, like, kind of set piece. Again, I think that was like the first big set piece that comes after the uh, moon pirates. So it's like, okay, cool. Kind of gets your blood pumping a little bit. I mean, it's a two and a half hour long movie where it's very introspective and there's a very you know, like not much in the way of dialogue, at least that's not like monologuing dialogue. So I thought it almost kind of needed something like that. Did it need the space monkeys? I don't know. I don't know if there's a better way, but well, I thought it was a good sequence. I'll tell you, the, the exact reason that the space monkeys happened is because this movie, I was thinking about it, it's exactly the archetype of the hero's journey, Joseph Campbell. I mean, you've got Call of Adventure, and then Supernatural Aid, you've got Helper's the Mentor, that's... uh Big man at the beginning. Oh, uh, Sutherland. Yeah, yeah, Pruitt. You've got him <laughs> at the beginning, and then the uh, at, at this point you're in the in the challenges phase, and so you've got you know the space pirates, and you've got the space monkey attacks. Yeah, and it's not long after this that the hero. I mean, the well, I'll I'll touch on it. I guess now that I've opened this can of worms, uh, space can of worms. Uh, <laughs> but, Barrel of monkeys. Yeah. I will. I will. Before you continue, it should also on the rest of that, it should also be noted that I believe I read an I read an article that said that James Gray and it wasn't quoting James Gray, but it said James Gray was uh it was making an homage to two thousand one with the monkeys on top of that. So Yeah, I could see that. Sure. I think either way, whether it's a hero's journey or a chance to shake up a really introspective film, it was done responsibly because when you when these monkeys come out it's so it becomes so minor and tropey that you realize it's just a chance to shake up what's going on and add some like action or challenge. Add some comedy to your it, it tragedy. Doesn't, yeah. yeah, it doesn't um, it, it doesn't change the direction of the film. You're like, oh, it's crazy space monkeys. 
and you can just accept it and move on and mm-hmm. not have the, the film, you know, shifted but, in another Mark, direction. did you know that a monkey ripping a man's face off was comedy? Yeah, <laughs> I guess not. I guess I missed that. No, I mean, from the standpoint of Shakespeare, you have a tragedy, and he breaks up the really crazy, tragic scene. Comedy, yeah. Also, I should say that for all of our listeners at home who are no doubt ripping their hair out, we know that they're apes, they're baboons, but space monkey is better than (laughs) space ape, so they're monkeys. I would call humans, humens are space apes. In my notes, I I was actually writing, um, I got to monkey, and then I like deleted, and I ended up putting primate. But Space Monkey is just Space Monkey is just better than anything else. I also works. think I mean what look at their options. Is they this was going to be a dramatic situation that they were walking into. But they already have the human instability that comes later. So I think it wouldn't have been as interesting if it were just another uh oh, someone went crazy on board and killed everyone else. Or like the pirates, they already have the pirates. So like this, I thought that was an interesting situation for them for them to walk into and explore, and it, there's also a large history of of animal testing in space. And and more than hero's journey, it was also just very Greek. It, it, the whole thing reminded me kind of a kind of a, of a myth, you know, like you said, the, the hero's journey. journey. It kind of kind of in, in a way, I, I guess, like the first half of. The Odyssey, probably, or he's not going home, but you know, the opposite end. I guess he is in a way, isn't he? Yeah. But uh, he, you know, uh, that I, I, it's it's very Grecian to kind of have this the hero fights the monster kind of thing. I also think that I think it's pretty obvious that the space ape um, kind of space rep- monkey. Space monkey. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's kind of um, I feel like obvious to me that the space monkey kind of represents mankind in a way in space is that at a very primal level we're all we if we were all in cans in space we would go crazy too we're all just eating each other's faces billy you're a beautiful bastard (laughs) (laughs) it's part of our nature i mean i think that's the whole thing is that like what's the nature of mankind in space in the future but let's save it let's save and in his own way brad pitt becomes a space monkey later bill you get it that's that's the whole thing like to me that I mean, on the literal level, it it kind of goes along with everything we were just talking about with, you know, uh, the moon mall and the space pirates and everything else. So what are we doing in space? You know, we've got all the scientific exploration going on, but a lot of it is very just kind of bureaucratic. And then, you know, in this instance, there's animal testing. So you have the, the fringes of, you know, some vacuum out there. Oh, distress call. What's going on? Oh, we go check out the distress call. Oh, a bunch of, you know, crazy space apes because we were out there testing on them and in I, space. I Sorry, I just had an oh my God moment. Where, like the whole thing, the whole movie boils down to the very most basic things are the only things that matter. Anyway. Yeah. Okay, there we go. There's All the right. Movie. Go ahead. All right, we're done. Good so sci-fi, bad sci-fi. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Space monkeys. Anyway, thanks for listening to this. No. Um, so, they, <laughs> Captain dies. Monkey eats his face off. Uh, uh, Brad Pitt shoots one monkey a couple times with his space gun. And then 
explodes the other monkey with airlock with pressure. pressure. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. Completely it unrealistic, yeah, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that well, I, I, I've, I've brushed past it all. I won't. Yeah, like, no, it's it's I, I won't be Neil deGrasse Tyson to this podcast. No. But yeah. that be was Sam ridiculous. Neil to this podcast. Yeah. Huh? Be Sam Neil to this podcast. So I like to think that they do enough things right that it it kind of makes up for those little uh, faux pas. So yes, absolutely. It's still a good movie. That's why, no, in terms of the science, like that's why the bad science, right. like Event Horizon, doesn't get away with bad science because it's a bad movie. <laughs> Miller shaking space his head. Fight. Chair. Space <laughs> <fight>. <laughs> uh, the chair makes up for the bad. See, Ben, get ready though. We're gonna cover Event Horizon again. No. Mm-hmm. Yes, we, we did are. it. It's over. There's a TV show coming. Oh well, that's different. It might be good. Yeah. Let me sing you my song, right, Space so, Fight. Just wait, executive producer. Uh, no, right. W. S. Miller. Alright, so, anyways, they get to Mars. There was a quick, uh, shaky moment where the executive officer on the, uh, Cepheus apparently just can't take control of his ship. He locked up. He locked up. His best friend was just had his <laughs> right, face space I'm, st- I'm still trying to figure out why that was such an important moment in the film. I think they were just trying to call his credibility into question. And to show that even in the face of this horrific event, Brad Pitt is still cool yes. as a cucumber. Yes. He's still also, a cucumber. They want, they want him to seem cool, and they want the death of those three cucumbers. This uh, is the moment where Brad Pitt's okay. like, fine. Right, that's what yeah. I was about to say. And they want you to not be mad when that dude ends up dying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't mad. Yeah, you deserved it for almost killing everyone yeah. else. He sucks in the space game. Yeah, yeah, but but this, this, I guess that's the moment where Brad Pitt finally decides to take control of the mission in a way, maybe. That's what they were trying to show. I don't know. Uh, But anyways, they safely make it down to Mars. Um, I guess there's a quick cameo from a lovable actress from a popular TV show. Oh, my God. Moving on. No, 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 no. Because that's a really important part of the movie. It's after all this dark and like freaky shit happening, you get this like really bright and like cheerful moment. That's like a big breath of fresh air. Uh, James Gray specifically got Natasha Lyonne because of that. Who's she from? What's she from? Natasha Lyonne. She's from Orange is the New Black and Russian Doll on Netflix. Yeah, Russian Dolls. Which I think I think is is sci-fi, and we might may want to you know do one. We all feel like doing TV shows again. Is it sci-fi? It's 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 like Groundhog Day. It's basically Groundhog Day. Okay. Um, um, we'll talk about it. But, uh, no, but he specifically begged her, he says. He begged her for three months to come do this one scene. <laughs> and he talked about how uh, every time she, she ad-libbed for like uh, an hour off of, and it, it was all, you know, cut because they didn't have time for that. And every time the, 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 direct, or the camera op would start to drift his camera toward her and not at Brad Pitt. And James Gray was like, no, 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 we're still on him. We want to see her in the background, but we need to stay on him. And he's like, but she's so much fun. And he goes, yes, that's the point. <laughs> and so it's just, I thought that was a really important, you know, you talk about all the bad shit in humanity, but there's still that, you know, that nice spark of sunshine out on Mars. But I agree, overall, humanity sucks. I mean, we also had, up to that point, almost exclusively been working with people who were just doing their jobs. Mm-hmm. And like... Were very, uh, you know, surgical about what they were doing, and were military people. She was just, you know, stamping their papers as they came off the plane, like. And it seemed to kind of set the tone for Mars too. I think I feel like Mars felt like less of that. Mars felt a little bit more loose. You know, there were granted it, it has a lot to do with the people we encountered on Mars, but uh, 
you know, it didn't feel as as all as militaristic as Earth and the Moon and such. Well, I think that's an important distinction too, because one of the things they actually point out, um, I think uh, Ruth Nega's character actually says, you know, I've only been to Earth once, so she's a Martian for all intents mm-hmm. and purposes. So we're at a point in this timeline of this film where you know, we're, there's going to be people that are born potentially on Mars and that have never gone to Earth and will never go to Earth. Born into a job, so, essentially. Yeah, but so we're, we're right at that point. We're at that tipping point where, you know, we're not quite to, like, expanse levels yet where there's, you know, people that are way far out in the solar system and, you know, they've never seen Earth or whatever that's actually changed their bodies. But we're right there. Like, you can see this is, this is yeah. what's going to happen. You know, it's a logical kind of tipping point. Which this is a prequel, by the way, for the Expanse. No, it's actually not. And it's a officially, sequel for the Martian. Well, officially, the prequel for the Expanse it's is the Martian. The Martian. Yeah. And this the, is a sequel to the Martian. There is a Tycho. The, the authors of uh, was it uh, Weir? Was his name? Yeah. And James S. A. Corey sat next to each other at a book signing at like a, some convention somewhere, and they decided that their universes are the same universe. Right, and this is in between. And there's actually characters from the Martian. Those names are in the Expanse. So this is actually a sequel to Space Cowboys. Yes, thank yes. you. There is thank a you. Somebody sequel said, to the right stuff. There is a base <laughs> on the moon. Sorry, Tom Lee Jones and Donald Sutherland. There is a base on the moon called Tycho Base. In dude, I love Astro. those remote control cars. Is there? Yeah, T Y C H O Tycho. That's why it's a, it's a sequel to Martian. Isn't there a crater on the moon called Tycho? Called Tycho Crater. Thank you. Okay, well, you okay. know what? You and your facts. <laughs> not my fault I'm not a fucking moon nerd. I mean, that's there you go. That's oh, the best way to lash out is call somebody a fucking nerd. <laughs> no, no, no. A fucking moon nerd. I think Ben just handed in his two weeks on sci-fi cross-sections. <laughs> All yeah, scientists are nerds, so they, they love to bodies. name nerd stuff after other nerd stuff that influenced them. There you go. Nerd it's stuff. Good. So, Brad Pitt gets to Mars. Uh, I forget the name of the character. Ruth Nega's character. What is it? Mm. Uh, Lantos. She's Lantos. The, she is the director of Mars. Like She's in charge of the planet Mars. I thought it was just that base. Nope. Oh, wow. She runs Mars. What else on Mars is the base? So, yeah. She or actually cube. she tries to quickly get to Brad Pitt in the sly I'm going to come at you down this long dark hallway talk to you. And then right off the bat they get to the end of the hallway and some secret ops man. intelligence guy just grabs Pitt and takes him to the recording room. Some man bun. Well, you, you immediately oh. know she's important too because You know she's important but you they're... know she's not in on Absolutely, what's mm-hmm. going on? She's she's reflected in uh, Roy when we first meet her. I do want to stop really quick and say I can't believe they allowed the man bun on Mars. Yeah. So that was the only joke I made to anybody during that whole well, movie. Exactly. I leaned over. So what was funny because I was a huge fan of this game. So that was the actor that played Joseph Seed in Far Cry Five. Wow, mm-hmm. and, and I was exactly like nerding out. Like I think it turned to Colin, and I was like. That's Joseph Seed from Far Cry 5, because I know Colin played it too. But he's, yeah. he's, he's also, in The Expanse, uh, he plays a Martian that interrogates Holden and company in like the third oh, episode. Yeah. yeah, he looks way yeah. paler and uglier. Oh. But once you put the beard on him, I'm like, this guy is great. But uh, they, they quickly whisk him away from, uh, is that the proper term? Yeah. Nega, and yeah. take him to this room where there's just a microphone and the best sound 
anechoic, an anechoic chamber. chamber. Yeah, absolutely. That was a little bit of like a fourth wall thing because the whole film revolves around these really well captured like moments of voice, uh, great voice capture, and then to have that in the film felt like it really just kind of tripped it out a little bit for me that they were in this like million dollar sound booth. They're sending a laser telegram. Are you suggesting that's where Brad Pitt recorded his narration lines? <laughs> yeah, that very room. I mean, they <laughs> as got long it, as they're going to build not? it, right? Yeah. yeah. It, it really caught me off guard when he looked up and there was just that big panel that he looked. It through. didn't just make sense window. in a sound yeah. capture yeah. space. Yeah. Well, no, because isn't it like a laser directed thing? Maybe they fire the laser through that window. But the message that they were sending, I thought they mentioned a laser involved with it. It was a la yeah, it was a laser. It was a, basically a laser telegram, kind of. Right. Well, you got to fire it from somewhere. Why not through a window? I don't know. <laughs> no. I don't know laser technology. So, you know, hey, Jetsy. Hey, Jim Bob. <laughs> Shoot the laser through the window. <laughs> I, know, I, know, I know I fired a lot, a, a lot of laser pointers through my neighbor's windows. It's just a guy so. with a laser pointer. <laughs> can you just say a little bit louder? Hey, Clifford's out there. We got to get him. Hope okay. you packed your long johns. You got to go out and fix the laser. <laughs> 90 days later. Oh, Wait, boy. We'll get to that. I need to repeat that. I think I blew up my mic. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Brad Pitt records this first message that Spacecom has scripted for him. It's definitely void of any like personal attachment to what's going on, which should have been fitting. What what we know? Well, what we know of Brad Pitt at this point, uh, he is a very cold character. Father, it's more than that. It, it, it just doesn't even sound right. Like the way yeah. he says, like, like you, you just said it, Father. Ugh. Like he, he he even stops and like kind of like does a little eye roll when he does it. He's like, I wouldn't say that. Yeah, but it's the way that he's reading it is definitely not his words. Mm -hmm. Um, so they say, oh, no response. We'll try again next time. Go ahead and just de-stress yourself or whatever. And those stress rooms really aren't de-stressing, are they? <laughs> those things are horrible. I was getting nervous the whole time I'm watching that. But uh, big wildlife. So all I want to look at when I'm stressed out is <laughs> just a, space bunch, a, bunch, a bunch of fucking bees <laughs> <laughs> pollinating <Birds>. flowers. <laughs> oh yeah, the earth bee, I remember. A cyclone of birds as you're just sitting there casually on a cot. So they try again a second day. Uh, Brad Pitt's sitting there with his paper. Seems like he's struggling. Do I want to read this again? Do I not? And he just puts it down and kind of like from the bottom of the heart just Comes up with his own message. Yeah. Dad. Father that he hasn't seen in 30 years. Right. And after a few few minutes pause, you think, all right, maybe it didn't send again. Whatever. Uh, you see the people behind the glass. You're Joseph Seed. Freaking out. Everyone's just like, oh, pointing at the screen. Brad Pitt's onto it. He thinks, okay, maybe they got a response. In comes a, another handler that is introduced to us. And she... Thanks, that's a wrap. Yeah, that's a wrap. Uh, <laughs> at this point, we learn that Brad Pitt is being separated from the mission. Or Sorry, Roy is being separated from the mission. He has proven to be too emotional. Did they actually, at the start of the movie, say that he's going to find his father no, in the Lima no, Project? The, 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 mission, the mission was to send the message. It was Mars. It was Right, so that's what I need to know basis. Yeah. So he had no idea. So at this point... Uh, Brad Pitt's told he's going home and he's got to like calm himself because he's too emotional. Yeah. 
to make the journey back to Earth, even. And the Cepheus? I'm sorry, I'm going to keep yeah. having to check what the pronunciation is. Um, the crew of the Cepheus being sent now. To Neptune. With to, nuclear munitions. Yes, to destroy the Lima Project. Um, I think that's the first mentioning of the actual project name. So this is when we see Brad Pitt's character kind of shatter. I was gonna say unravel, but shatter. Is also a good... I don't say shatter. Un sure, maybe fracture. Fracture is good too. Whatever's sitting in there is now it's stirred up. Yeah, it's 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 leaking through the cracks. You got the trub off the bottom. Um, back in this really not so calming stress anti stress rooms. Uh, and this is when Ruth Nega's character. Um, I forget her name. Lou Vega's character. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Helen Lantos approaches him and actually explains her connection to the Lima Project and how she thinks Brad Pitt's the best man for the job to fix the problem that his father is called. He's not the best man, he's the only he's man. the, the only, only man. man. Thank you. Uh, and with her I grew up on this planet, I know every inch of it knowledge, she gets him onto this rocket. I would like to say that there was a lot of I felt blame sent by her to Roy's character yes. over that. And the entire time I'm thinking, and they actually did address it a little bit later in the uh, movie and narration, but I was like, yeah, the sins of the father will be visited upon the son, but fuck that. You're your own person. Like nothing yeah. that your parents do determines how you do anything. It might inform how you react, but eventually, I mean, Essentially, you are you're you're driving. You're in the driver's seat the whole right, time. That's like, true, but no... that's not how Roy carries it. Right. No, it's not. Right. But it's 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 if if he maybe if he had his dad or maybe if his Let's... dad wasn't a piece of shit, he would have known yeah, let... better than to Cute. internalize that. Go ahead, Jason. Jason go. Jason's go, Jason, like hulking out. No, but he's taking his shirt. No, off. that's great because <laughs> there was actually it was something I made a note of when we were in our screening. Because every time Roy meets a new character, it's never, oh, hey, you're Roy, you're the great astronaut. It's, mm -hmm. oh, you're, you're Clifford's Roy, you're son. Yeah, you're you're, you're Clifford's Cliff son. He's a hero. He's, you know, the best yeah. guy ever. And, you know, he's lived this life that... In his it, dad's shadow. It, yeah, but, you know, he lived this competent professional life where he's got all these accomplishments of his own. But And, I mean, that's another theme. We're, we're, we're getting there. We're almost right there. Where we're going to start talking about that. But... I thought that was great because it really made a point of every interaction he has with someone new or anyone new he meets. It's always in the shadow of his father. Yeah. Dad Astro. Dad, Dad Astro. 100% what it is. Uh, exactly. The sins of the father. That's a huge point of this movie. Um, I really liked the underground. The underground underwater. Underwater that? scene. Yeah, I thought that I, was cool. I, was gonna I say, if you're... hated every second of the sequence from the lake to the climbing up into the rocket. But Ben. To the getting onto the rocket. Like every second was like, this is not right. Like my basic comprehension of how rockets work, I was like, this isn't okay in any in any way. Right. Like the moment it takes off, like that should have been, been incinerated. That. Right. That's, boom! Like they would have hit that, hit the back of that wall, and all of them smashed. But just we don't like really that. know how things work in on Mars, do we? I think we know what the gravity. Is. <clears throat> I don't know. It's a third. It's a third of the Earth gravity. Either way, if it's you're, also yeah. it's uh, you, it's, it would be worse then because with less 
with less gravity and less, with less friction allowing the rocket to launch, it would probably launch faster than it would on Earth, which means that he would hit that wall as it was launching, boom, faster, and be dead right there. I was like, I, I, and, and it took a lot for me, and I hate to be that guy, like I said. Took a lot for me to suspend my disbelief in this sequence. Which is weird because like, I've seen you suspend your disbelief a lot easier than that. So. Really? Yes. No. I have. I, with the rules set in the universe, certainly, but this is okay. a real world, and right. so I was, I, I was like, okay, well, maybe the rockets launching and maybe rockets don't need weight, like weight capacities anymore. Maybe they don't design rockets for a certain weight load anymore. You know, but because that would have sent the rocket launching and then twirling and then smashing to be fair the the editing was very uh choppy yes so it wasn't really clear that he was it kind of did seem like the way that his timing was going he was going to be in that canal when the rocket started but like you never saw him in there there were like doors opening and closing and him going through hatches no, it wasn't and stuff. the canal it was but him like, being in the rocket unsecured when it launched that would kill him immediately but like i said it's nitpicky and, and in the moment it was very exciting and then like it passed and i was like wait i don't know if i like that i thought <laughs> i thought the whole <clears throat> the scene where he was in that underground tunnel underwater first off i always think that's cool anytime it's like uh they're in like a spacesuit and they're underwater like i just thought that was kind of cool yeah for whatever reason because it's like oh you know you're on mars and you wouldn't think that oh he's in some sort of like waste you know, uh, tunnel or whatever. Yeah. Mars water, whatever. So so I thought that was kind of cool, but I like the symbolism of that because the way I interpreted that, it's almost kind of like his like rebirth. Like he's coming up. (laughs) Our countdown on the hero's journey. (laughs) Revelation, (laughs) death and rebirth. He's He's, walking, he's swimming through the amniotic fluid along the umbilical cord. We all picked it up. It's like a dance puppet real quick. Yes. I'm, I'm a dunce. I missed that. Well, no, so. I mean, so that scene I thought was really cool and I liked, even though one of the criticisms I've seen kind of levied at this movie is that some of the internal monologuing is kind of heavy handed or kind of sometimes kind of dopey because he, he's really spelling out exactly, you know, what, what he feels there. But like, I thought that was really cool because um, at that point in the movie, that's the first time he's really going against protocol. He's kind of breaking with. Okay, well, you know, the the old Roy, if he was being the the consummate professional, would have said, "Okay, yeah, I guess I'm going home, whatever." Mm-hmm. But at this point, yeah. his his journey yeah. is more important than yeah. the mission. Exactly, death and rebirth into transformation. The rocket scene when he actually gets to the rocket, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of with Ben on that one. It's like it's a little hokey, but you yeah. know, it's and a means to an end. Not to mention the complete moron who fired a gun in a rocket that's taking off that's in the process of taking off off. i i I bet you that there's a science that doesn't make that they didn't talk about where these are like very low velocity bullets or something clearly enough to hit a person but not enough to clearly was a pretty well, clearly it was a pretty big misstep to fire this thing in a rocket since it's suffocated okay but here's the thing they've pointed out the fact that these are not soldiers they he they're clearly says they're, they're scientists idiots. they're technicians so then why give them guns because they're space on a monkeys. mission for <laughs> let's just go space military everybody needs a space gun well it's like the armageddon space thing first we talk about like it's easier to train exactly. 
Like scientists to fire a pistol, then shut the fuck up. No, just stop. Just stop. Then to train a soldier to like. That was the stupidest fucking thing in a movie ever. That's what Ben Affleck suggested to Michael Bay, and Michael Bay told him to shut the fuck up. That's exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like it's easier to hand to train a scientist to fire a pistol when they get boarded by space pirates than it would be to teach all the. Clearly, you know, I, I get astronautical it. shit. Table. Yeah. Uh, so maybe table. Super Metroid would have gone better if those doctors had guns to defend against Ridley. <laughs> yeah. Spe- specifically, Michael Bay in space. That one. That was uh, specifically. Yeah. That um. Basically. That specific situation was so stupid. Not saying that your point was stupid. Okay, I just want to clear that up. Mm-hmm. So, what we've actually been trying to say here <laughs> is that <laughs> he kills the crew of the so Nostromo. Anyway, Brad Pitt gets onto the rocket. He kills, kills the whole crew. Spacecom <laughs> says, whatever you do, don't let that guy take control of what's happening here. He's not supposed to be on this mission. At this point, they just go balls to the wall, grab a gun. Let's go fire at him. Oh, fuck. How does the first person die? Isn't there smashes like... Into the, smashes into the... Smashes her face. Smashes what her Ben face said should have happened to Brad Pitt happened to her. Right. I love it. Anyway, what if he like laid that, against the wall? I don't know. That happens, and then yeah. the next guy got space shot. No, no he, he stopped they the cap- The other two guys, yeah, all because the air was contaminated right. yeah, after he shot the space. Was a, him. He I, did turn I, the knife on him. He it was a the leg, CO2 dispenser right. to put out That's, fires. They both, yeah, they both died from that. Space carbon and Brad Pitt is is space sad because of it. Yes. <laughs> we tried our follower later in. Days. Yes, he tried. He say, he says breathe. He tries Truthfully, to resuscitate. Him. I think if you didn't call this movie Ad Astra, it could just be called Space Sad. <laughs> or <laughs> Space Space Sad Brad. Yeah, no, Space Sad Brad. That's Dad Brad. Space Sad. This movie. I have I, Sad by Space Dad. I have a pun at the end. If if if, if, if I could the, sum up the stinger. If I could sum up oh. this movie in two words, it would be space sad. In in space, no one can see you cry. Space sad sad Brad's dad. So, So, at this point in time, Brad Pitt takes control of the rocket. This is his mission from here on out. This is his purpose. What he sends the father, whatever you want to call it. This is him doing what he's supposed to be doing. He has to atone, which is and the uh, next so hero's ben, journey. This is where you mentioned it earlier. You yeah. said uh, Heart of Darkness. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, mind, the whole movie. F- first off, my mind didn't uh, reach to it until this scene. Yeah, I agree. Um, I didn't I didn't put that together. And I don't know. Maybe I wasn't being analytical enough when I was watching. You're just enjoying it in the first round. But as soon as it became this period of isolation for him going to neptune is when i was like holy shit this is apocalypse now yeah. this is heart of darkness tommy yeah. lee jones is space brando yes um first sure. off i sat there thinking okay it's gonna be 87 days until neptune and i started laughing because i was like 90 days later something at least and they did they made it worth it. They showed uh, that sequence was Bre- cool. Yeah. yeah, they yeah, showed absolutely. how Brad Pitt was dealing Just with this isolation. That sequence was if the sequence in Origin Unknown was good. Yes, <laughs> if there was a sequence in Origin. No, the 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 freaky freak out sequence oh, at the yeah. end. Do you remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
that that scene blew me away. I thought that was perfectly handled. Um, man, at this point, what he gets to Neptune? He gets to Neptune, gets to Neptune and Neptune. finds Daddy. Uh, which I didn't think that was going to happen. To be honest, if I'm if I'm being totally honest, this is the point I wrote down. This entire movie, I was assuming was just a dream and that Brad Pitt's character was locked in a sensory sensory deprivation tank because so much of this was just so Roy centric. It's like your dad, it's like you're trying, he's trying to like process all of these emotions and he's gone to another world in his own head. Like they say, I've never been to a sensory deprivation tank. I want to go a float tank if uh, that's your flavor. Um, but I, I was like, this isn't really happening. None of this movie is happening. This is a way of him to process the fact that his dad like died when he was young or something so, like that. Yeah, as a riff that's on that. I, I totally, idea. I was like, this I is what I would have been that, pissed if that was the end of the I movie. I would not have been happy, but I would have been like, saw it going. Well, as a riff on that, I think there's a read of the movie that you could take where after, after the, the journey to Neptune, none of none of that happens right like he dies on the way well not even that to me the read that i kind of had was they spend a good deal of time in that sequence we just talked about really kind of saying that like he's losing it Mm -hmm. you know he's he's losing it right and the the space insanity is really getting to him and gravity and again i don't think that's what happened but a read you could have of the ending is that he gets to the lima project yeah he gets to the lima project and you know he's walking through this deserted base i mean all he's seeing is you know all the the dead crew members got plastic bags over their heads and you know there's creepy black and white show tune movies playing and everything else like that but then like you know you see tommy lee jones character looking surprisingly like spry for being out in space alone for the last 16 years you know after he killed the rest of the crew or whatever uh he just recently he just recently killed the last of his crew yeah, it was just but I just thought it was kind of uh, an interesting read. If you wanted to interpret it that way, you could. There's nothing that tells you it doesn't happen. I don't think that's what happened, but no, I don't think so um, either. No, that's a very cynical kind of kind of outlook. But like, it, but I, I totally understand. Like, you're absolutely right. That's an outlook that could be had. Like maybe an, out, maybe an outlook I would have had five years ago until they touched. Yeah, well, yeah, they, like, bro, yeah, focused on them like interacting physically. I was like. Yeah, Roy, Roy sees him through the glass, and I'm like, "This isn't really happening." Like he's he's got he's like in a place in his mind where he's confronting this sort of ghost of his father. I know? can't tell you how happy I was that Clifford turned out to be a piece of shit. Like he idolizes this, but not just Roy, but everyone idolizes Clifford. And then we learn the truth: he killed all these people. But yet, there's still a part of us that's like, well, maybe he had a choice, maybe this, maybe that, maybe he snapped, maybe he was a good person once, and then he he says, I can't remember I never exactly. Cared for I, you I never or your cared mother. about you or your, your mother. Small ideas, your small, your small ideas. ideas. You or and your small like, ideas. Yep, you or and your small that, ideas. I was Fuck like, kill him. Guy. I was like, fucking kill him. And uh, that was the one moment where I was like, this could have easily been like, I love you, dad. I love you too, son. And it would have been awful. But it was like, no, like he is a piece of shit. And Roy needs to confront that his father is a piece of shit and forgive him for leaving. Like, that's what what it all comes down to. For it being so understated, too. I mean, hats off to Tommy Lee Jones, because that that whole scene, you know, when when they finally meet up, I mean, they don't really have that much screen time together. But Tommy Lee Jones few lines. I mean, he really sells that, you know, that that pain, I think, and that anguish of, you know, devoting your life to this 
project or these ideals that you think are bigger than what you have and, you know, really don't lead you anywhere. I thought that that whole, to me, that whole scene pretty much while they're on Neptune, like that was the true kind of like emotional core and like payoff of the whole movie. Mm -hmm. Like if it ended there, it would have been fine because to me, I was kind of questioning and I, I figured at a certain point that they weren't going to go this route, but it's like, well, what are they going to find? Is it going to go event horizon? Is he going to be like some, you know, like mustache twirling bad guy or is it going to, that's what I was thinking. We see be. this broken, bitter, this man who's man. dedicated his entire life With to the search the of extraterrestrials whom we, I mean, we never find out whether or not they do exist. No, we he, come to the he, conclusion he that they found out. Don't. He, he concluded out of all of the scientific evidence, the worst news possible, that there was nothing out alone. there. Dad went out to go get space cigarettes and never came back. We're, we're on it now. How do you Bill? confront, like how do you confront you your dad? Yeah. I, I'm assuming, I'm assuming everyone here has seen uh, Firefly. Yes. In yes. Serenity. There, there is a a point where they talk about these these reavers uh these these boogeymen in, in the show and they got to the edge of you know what known space what they know and they saw nothing and it drove them mad mm -hmm. that is i think what they were trying to say with tom lee jones he, yeah he kept doing these he set these goals and he reached these goals he got to this point where he could not go any further mm -hmm. and that drove him mad well, because here's the thing, and Bill, I know you want to say this, but I, I've, I feel like this is something you and I both think of a lot as far as the f the future and and science and space. If there's nothing out there, if we are truly the first intelligent life form to reach space travel, then that means we are responsible for all of it. That's what it comes down to, and that's that's what Brad says. All we have is each other. Because we need to ensure at this point, like that there's so many things that could go wrong from here. It's it's scary. It's scary to even talk about. It. I don't like talking about it. But to, I don't like thinking about it. But it's if we're the first, that means we need to either find a way to ensure there are more or find a way to thrive because we as life need to go on. That is the point of us. I, I think that second point is really what they were trying to hammer home is we're all we got. So well, that's the thesis of, of the movie. Yeah. I mean, literally that yeah. when he said that line, that's the movie mm -hmm. that that is what the the main idea there that Gray was trying to get across, because it's a very ultimately, although everything was kind of negative in the lead up. And, you know, we discussed that over the last hour here, like. That it's ultimately a very humanistic movie. It's it's ultimately yeah. saying mm -hmm. we're all there is. We're responsible for each other. And that's what allows Roy to say, you know what? I'm out here at the, the you know, in the depths of space on the brink of everything we think we know, but I've never been more alone. And he turns around and <laughs> nuke blasts oh. back to Earth. So I honestly believe that that was what Gray wanted. And Brad Pitt brought in the dad Astra and the uh, struggle with reinterpreting what masculinity I disagree. is and stuff like that. It's I think a, that was Pitt. Well, it's also a great way to break it all down. Like the whole the conflict with his father is a great way to break down what our fight to survive in humanity is. So, so the reason I say I disagree, so Gray, that is a signature theme of his so oh, i have not okay read or sorry read i have not 
watched any of his other films. I want to now. However, in reading uh, just some critiques of Ad Astra and some kind of analysis of Ad Astra, apparently the whole theme of kind of masculinity and the importance of masculinity in our culture and just in general, our relationship with our fathers and living up, that's kind of like his signature theme. So that film that he released before this thing was The Lost City of Z or whatever, apparently is like... That's like part one of this. It's almost kind of like every film that he tackles, it has something to do with these, you know, father-son relationships or familial relationships, sibling relationships, and kind of how we stack up to those people that we're, you know, connected to. Bill has a point. Oh, my God. Oh, okay. So, so So let's talk about complicated relationships with fathers um so i feel like the whole thing when you look at it through the lens of familial relationships and how that reflects our meaning in life so so the idea is i think everybody gets the idea that this is about kind of toxic masculinity right i know some people hate that phrase but toxic masculinity and the cost of seeking uh, your meaning through ambition and stoicism so you are ambitious, you want to do great things in life, but you don't see the things of value around you. So you don't see your wife, you don't see your kids, you don't really care because they provide no value for your ambition. And um, I believe that the vast darkness of space was kind of the emptiness within, you know, Roy and Cliff um, from seeking something that doesn't really matter. So it winds up being that at the very end of everything, like, no, we're all alone and everything I've been doing doesn't mean anything. And I've been living all these years for this search and it doesn't pay off. It doesn't mean anything. Mm -hmm. And I had a wife and I had a kid that I could have spent all this time with and it means nothing. And that would drive you insane, too. Yeah. If you had that. Um, So the vast nothingness of space and um, and the, the, the cost of exploring it all alone. Because that's what stoicism is, is that we're just you're you isolate yourself from other people in order to accomplish something through your ambition yourself. Um, and then I, I believe that that causes the deep rage within Roy. So, you know, he talks about rage and how he feels rage and he sees the space ape or space monkey. And, uh, and he's just like, I recognize that rage in myself, you know, because he wants to fulfill this whole and he thinks, ooh. Only if only I saw my father and I had a cathartic moment and we love each other in the end, everything would make sense. Everything would make sense. I wouldn't have this hole in me anymore. I wouldn't have this emptiness. And then he gets there and he finds out it wasn't there the whole time, just like intelligent life. It wasn't there the whole time. Mm -hmm. It didn't matter. He could have stayed with his wife. You know, he could have had kids. He could have have been happy, which he winds up, we wind up looking at that at the end, is that he realizes what really matters was right in front of him on Earth. He travels all these, what, two billion, almost two billion miles, and then he figures out it doesn't matter. He could have stayed here and done that. So, And I think one of the big things is that he loves his dad, and he hates him, and he hates that he loves them. Yeah, yeah. He thinks absolutely. His, his love is completely wasted on him because he has all this ambition to be in, to love his father, 
but it doesn't matter. It's falling on deaf ears. Um, yeah. And I feel so. So I feel like he he loves his father, but he hates the life, the the archetypal life that he has followed. Yeah. He realizes that this leads to nothing. This leads to heartbreak. You could have just stayed home. So, <laughs> so then there's that that final line from Tom Lee Jones. He says, "Let me go." Ugh. Right, but that's very on the nose. <laughs> right. Well, yes, but that's the very powerful thing. Well, I have an interpretation of that, which oh, I sorry. go ahead. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. Okay, at, at that point, that's Brad Pitt uh, not just letting his father go and die, but him letting go of that higher. Deep-seated. Well, it's like it's like any bad relationship you have in your life. It doesn't matter what the other person believes, as long as you forgive them in your mind and realize that they gave you good and bad, and you accept that, you can be at peace. Yeah. So I feel like that was kind of part of it. And what happened after that? He gets home and he finds happiness. The meaning that he left was honor. So yeah, radically <clears throat> underutilized with Tyler. <laughs> yeah, oh my god, it's yeah, still like, gorgeous, Liv Tyler. I know how you feel about it. Can we give the floor to Jason now? Well, just briefly, because it could be a whole other aside, but I, what was interesting to me, and I did pick up on it, and I don't want to get in a whole like, debate mode here, but one of the things that I think was pretty obvious they were trying to get across is there was a lot of religious references in this. So at several points, there were astronauts who were in prayer, you know, or they were saying prayer while, you know, they were doing the funeral for the guy who got his face ripped off. That's not funny, but, um, I don't know why I laughed, but, um, (laughs) it's a nervous moment. The scene was comedy and you're taking it. Yeah, right, right, right. But, um, the interpretation that I kind of had as I was watching it, um, because I, I really enjoy anything that's kind of like, religious criticism or like, you know, uh, exploration of religious themes or kind of how we utilize that type of criticism in pop culture. Um, I thought it was kind of cool at the end there where you have that scene. To me, I I think one reading is Clifford's character is kind of a stand in for this like fundamentalist or like orthodox type viewpoint, you know, of religion, not any one religion, but just kind of religion or, you know, belief in those type of kind of um, earthly philosophies, if you will. And that le- you need to let me go moment. I thought there were two things there that that kind of invoked. It was it was a support of the humanistic thesis that I feel like they were kind of portraying at the end there where you need to, you know, go back to the earth and you need to, you know, focus on humanity and your fellow man and, you know, our place in things, which, you know, we don't, we can't prove that there's anything else or we have proved that there's nothing else. So that's kind of, you know, important now. Right. The other thing is it almost reminded me, I forgot the name of the, like the most famous painting of all time. I think it's the creation of man, whatever's on the Sistine chapel, Mm -hmm. but it kind of echoed that because you've got, you know, the the characters in that painting, I feel bad that I, I don't actually know, but I believe it's like God, right? And it's then God it's and God and Adam. Adam. And yeah, it's Adam. God giving the uh, knowledge to Adam. So they're, you know, kind of doing one of these. I'm I'm doing the pose right now. And Clifford says, Let me go. And they're they're tethered. They're physically tethered together. And Roy lets him go. And then he kind of floats into the void and, you know, perishes. And then Roy turns around and heads back to Earth. So to me, it was just kind of interesting that, you know, 
a lot of that was symbolic, I feel like, or that's one reading of it. Um, and to me, that ultimately, I think, kind of proved that whole viewpoint of the film. So I think to me, it was it's about familiar relationships. It's about the you know masculinity, the father and the son. But I think on this other level, I think there's a real philosophical bent, too, that kind of proves, I think, where they're coming at it in terms of it being more, you know, humanistic. It's interesting to note, too, I don't when they were saying the prayer for the uh, astronaut, they weren't for the captain. They weren't seeking comfort in, in each other. They were seeking comfort in religion. And I think that it kind of ties into with the with the whole we were the we're the only thing we got thing, too. So, um, you know, it seems like it wasn't totally a, a criticism, I want to say, because criticize religion nowadays and, and who knows where that's going to get you. But I think it was a, a small thing pointing it out is that is that perhaps some people spend too much focus on their relationship with God and not enough focus on their relationship with the people around them, which is fair of a lot of religious people that I. Jesus first, my husband second. Right. <laughs> oh, okay. Didn't know we were name dropping here. <laughs> yeah, that Jesus dude. Now he's um, cool. He's cool. Right, um, he ate. Bef all right, so that, before, was, that was last episode. So was last I guess episode. before we get into this, this final, the good sci-fi, bad sci-fi. Does anyone else have anything they want to add about this movie? Yes. I mean, well, I know we have a lot more to say. I have a question. Uh since he's up for going to be up for two Oscars this this year in the Academy Awards, has anyone seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? I haven't yet. No. Yes. Whereas well, only you. Yeah. Thank God, someone's closer. Yeah. Okay. So Cliff Booth or or Roy? What's Roy. better? Uh, Roy. Really? Wait, what's a better character? What What did he do better as? Like Like what was written better, or what did he perform better as? What did he perform better as? Roy. Really? I say, yeah, yeah. I think there was some like I think there was some time put in uh, uh, capturing some of those those lines, but like some of his his. His visual appearances fell flat. I thought Cliff, in Ad Astra. Cliff was just more fun. At he the was end of more the day. fun. I thought he and, was a better and because written of character. That, because of that, more natural. Yeah. I, but that's yeah. just me. I can't speak to um, Once Upon a Time, but this was probably some of the best acting Brad Pitt has done in his career. Well, Brad Pitt's at the prime of his life. Sure. He's divorced. 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 Yeah. He's divorced. He's yes. living his life. Mm -hmm. He's ditched the ball Which and chain. He was saying in, he was saying in, uh, in interviews, uh, a lot of the regret from his divorce is what inspired I believe this it. movie. Just to be clear, in the movie, he wasn't divorced. He just said, I need some space. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, oh end the podcast now. The podcast oh, over. The <laughs> and this is where we get that's into the, that's the, the pre-stinger that's in the episode. That's the post-stinger. I'm going to edit it to where it plays well every done. five minutes. Well and this is well where done. we get into <laughs> good sci-fi, bad sci-fi. So we're going to start, oh, as always... And he got that's gonna, the fucking flavor. He got a lot of space. We're we're gonna start as always to the to the six o'clock to my twelve o'clock. Ben Young. Well, hold on. I I would like to posit a question. Oh sure. Um, I've got two notes written down here in my phone that I'm gonna read directly, and and this movie asks a lot of questions that I feel, just being who I am, and approaching this from the philosophic sort of spectrum. 
this movie asks a lot of questions that nobody should give a shit about in my opinion is how i wrote it like who cares about aliens when we can't even figure out ourselves as a species like he we've spent a lot of time talking about relationships with you know parental fathers heavenly fathers we've talked a lot about that hero's journey to go and find what you had all along that you couldn't see because you were just not looking at it from the right way you know we we can't even figure out ourselves as a species what why are we even bothering trying to figure out whether or not there's other life is that a legitimate question? Are you, are you actually asking a question? I'm actually asking a question. Because I, I have mean, the what answer. Do you, yeah, go for it. The great filter, in my opinion. I, I think we, at least me, I search for, I, I don't do shit, but I hope for extraterrestrial life because it does not, for a lot of people, I think it's it talks about hope and it talks about like, we're not alone. And that's something that is hopeful for some people. But I see it as uh, a prophecy of doom, whereas if we could find a, a, at least evidence that there was life once upon a time, we could see what what they did wrong, because the idea is that the, the idea is that any extraterrestrial life that we will find has already been has already come and gone. They've come, they've lived, they've died, they're gone. And so the idea is finding trying to figure out how and why that happened. And if they still exist, what they did right. Because obviously we can't figure it out. Obviously there's a lot going on here that, you know, people are like, oh, that's an easy answer. We get rid of nuclear weapons. Oh, it's an easy answer. We unify our world. Oh, it's an easy answer. But you know what? We, how, that's all way easier said than done, is it not? I mean, you can't just be like, oh, well, let's get rid of all nuclear weapons. Oh, let's let's get all rid of, rid of all war. We can't do that. That will never happen. So now, what did they do? How did they get past this? That's the way I see it. Or how didn't they, or how didn't they get past it? What ended it? And you, I think this is it for us. I think we we don't have much longer. I sorry, listeners. No, I mean to find much longer. Do you mean twelve years? I say uh, a century. Or do you mean? I'd say we have probably another. At least a couple hundred thousand years. I think that's radically hopeful. But hey, I won't be to, around. Each, to each their own. I think Will you be around in a hundred thousand years? I'd like to hope so. <laughs> I mean, we all would like but to hope I, so. I, but... You know, if I any any money that I get from this podcast will be inve invested directly into transhumanism. So that's a whole other topic. Yeah, we got Ben Bot 40 in, in the wings. <laughs> I, I, I have an opinion about that. <laughs> <laughs> opinion not good. Wow. <laughs> I'm a little insulted there. <laughs> what, that we needed 40 iterations to get your Ben bot down? <laughs> I can't believe you said that, Bill. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> we'll download the R2-D2 voice pack, India. I feel wow. like I'm being picked on. You are. Yeah, this is an attack. Sorry for giving my thoughts. Won't do it again. I just yeah. wanted to mention, I really like salmon. The salmon color on you. It's Thanks, really it's nice. one of my favorite shirts. It's, it's really nice. Too bad the listeners can't. You just made everyone jealous. <laughs> I think you just sold salmon you shirts on Amazon. You, you should Amazon. be jealous. <laughs> Jason's nodding. He's nodding. Mm -hmm. Jason, I, say your I, thing. I think um, it, it was actually very refreshing for me how this film ended. Yeah. That there, you know... 
they definitively answered the question, but it was so counter to typically what we see in any of these science fiction movies. It was like, no, there is no life out there, at least in what our observable, you know, potentially could travel to whatever. No, there isn't. So that then in turn, I think, shifted the focus back on us. So to your point, I think that's what it became is, okay. now we need to understand ourselves and who we really are. And that was the ultimate message of the movie. Movie had nothing to do with space, really. It mm-hmm. at the very end, it kind of turned that microscope back towards, like mm-hmm. like you said, yeah. where we were yeah. from the beginning. Point it back internally. Yeah, I mean, it's the it. This literally is the. And since we're getting ready to go into good sci-fi, bad sci-fi, um, this is the culmination of the hero's journey. You return, you know, you you leave the known. You travel into the unknown. You meet people along the way, and you come back to what is already known. And unfortunately for him, what was known was just obscured, but he gets a second chance. This movie had a happy ending that somehow managed to have, like, I would say almost a zero sense of schmaltziness. This was not a saccharine kind of, they, him and his wife hug and kiss in the fucking space airport. You know, they, they see each other through outside. He's going to, he's you know, going to take the long road to reconciling with his estranged wife now. But there we got, we didn't need, we didn't need that, you know, physical reunion. We got it all through, through the looks. I I think that gives it the ultimate Joseph Campbell, like resolution, because one of his most famous ideas is the world is going to go to shit. All that matters is your personal journey. Right. You're, you can't you're fix all the you world. have at the end. Just just try to do right by yourself. Yeah, you are and, all and you I, have. I felt like that was how the film ended. It yeah, was saying exactly we're going to we're going to fuck up no matter where we go throughout the, the universe. What what mattered in the end was his personal journey, yeah. him fixing his relationship. He's not going to save the world. Yeah, you're we're responsible not save for your world. own time. Yeah. Just just do right by yourself. All right. Well, hit it, Poopa. Let's go around that table. Good sci fi, bad sci fi. Ben. I would like to read a tweet from a man that I will now call a poet named Miles Surrey. He's verified, but I don't know him. At HK Surrey. The tweet is as follows. It's Sad Astra if you think Ad Astra starring Brad Astra is Bad Astra. Don't get mad, Astra, but I think your taste might just be Ass Astra. This was good sci-fi. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's all I got to say. Good. Best. Thank you, Miles. Or, sorry, Jason. All right. Oh, you don't. You don't. You don't want to go. Well, no, no, I will. I'm just. I'm trying to make <laughs> it brief. This was my last point that I had written down. Okay. Um, I thought it was fantastic sci-fi. To me, this is what sci-fi should be. Because regardless of maybe where it may have made some missteps along the way, or maybe where it was clunky, it was. I think in a way that was very true to itself asking the big questions you know when we look at a, a film like we did a few weeks ago like you know uh, uh origin unknown or whatever like this this movie actually dared to take those questions on and i feel like did it in a way that it, there was integrity there it reminded me uh, of kind of the, some of those like moody european sci-fi films from like the 70s and the 80s um i definitely got some like solaris influence at a certain point i thought that was kind of cool that it was very visual and kind of visceral uh it was slow certainly i mean one of the big things that 
uh, we saw his first criticism was that, oh, yeah, it's very, you know, glacially paced and it's kind of slow and it's very contemplative. But that's why I loved it. I thought that was great. And I love science fiction like that. So to me, you know, I, I was kind of comparing, contrasting with the other big sci-fi film that made a big impact on me uh, of the last few years. I could probably say there was two of them that really blew me away, one being Interstellar, one being Blade Runner 2049. But this, in a lot of ways, was like the anti-Interstellar. It was interesting because, you know, in that film, you have Matthew McConaughey's character saying, you know, we used to wonder our place in the stars. Now all we wonder about is our place in the dirt. That's a bad thing. This film literally is the inverse of that. It's no, our, our, we need to focus on our place in the dirt and kind of figure that out first before we look to the stars, because really there's, there's nothing out there, right? So I thought it was a refreshing take on that message. Uh, it asked the big questions. It answered some of them in its own way, or at least kind of gave its own thoughts on them. And I, and unfortunately, I don't know if we will or not, and that's another topic for another day, but I want to see more sci-fi like this. This is why I go to movies. This I, I, I engaged with it. We went and saw the movie Saturday, and I engaged with it, and I read on it, and I thought about it for four days after that. And if a film can make me do that, if any media can make me do that, it's great sci-fi. It's great media, and I, I live for it. All right. Thanks. Mark? <clears throat> Let me read a tweet. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I thought it was great sci-fi. Um, visually uh audibly it was it was fantastic i did enjoy the questions they posed and and i think they did their best at answering everything that they posed they didn't leave a lot of open ends which i feel like has become a sci-fi thing recently of like putting these big questions out there and then they're like well what do you think or and the story just like doesn't have a finite point on it i feel like they closed off everything they asked uh in in as as best as they could answer it i thought it was good eric uh, I thought it was good sci-fi. I thought um, because there was so much going on thematically and to advance the sci-fi genre and then at the same time to advance film a little bit into this realm of being a little less visual and be having more to do with the uh, the sound in the film and not just the soundtrack, how voices are captured, how sound effects are relevant, the rise and fall of volume in a film and uh most importantly for me it made me want to be in a theater in a time when that's not that important i've seen 10 films in the last couple of months this is the one of the only ones that i've seen in the theater that i feel like i needed to see in the theater and that is important for sci-fi uh, i think it it needs to be dramatic sometimes so good sci-fi um, I don't really want to regurgitate what half of you at this table have already said. Um, but as I always say, it, it does um, ask the right questions. I always think an important aspect of sci science fiction is to explore what it means to be human. And in this case, what is humanity's place? Um, where we are now and where we are, want to go, at least. Um, um, I think this movie cements itself in a way into those uh, those bigger more influential sci-fi movies of the last 30 years 40 years uh 2001 interstellar uh, yeah i'll even say the martian i think that was a very important movie uh, for science fiction um and this uh this slots itself right in there so i would say this is good borderline great sci-fi 
I'd say it's great sci-fi and a good film. I feel like you could get it both ways. That's it. Um, I I feel like this is actually my last note as well. So it is a kind of kismet. Um, I do feel like this is great sci-fi. I actually spent a lot of the, maybe the first act or so, just kind of not really digging the movie, just being kind of disengaged, just being like, oh, it's a space story. Okay, gotcha. But, uh, and this is something I would, you know, if for some reason you haven't, seen the movie, you know, I would encourage people to see it, not specifically because it's a sci-fi movie, but because it's a deep philosophical introspective character piece. You know, this is, it's a, it's an examination of what it means to be human with all the human interpersonal relationships that we have. And I feel like even if this ended up being like, I kind of thought about earlier, all in his head in a sensory deprivation tank, future futuristic sensory deprivation tank. It would just be all right for me for that. Cause you know, I, I, I eat up this, this philosophical stuff, you know, with, with two spoons, you know, I can't get enough philosophy. And, uh, this is really a great human examination. So excellent sci-fi. I ended up turning my opinion completely around 180, 100% liked it. Great movie. All right. Would recommend. Well, thanks, guys. There you have it from Sci-Fi Cross Sections. Uh, I don't think we have our next topic picked out, or we do, Ben. Uh, let's. You want to do the Matrix? Well, yeah, I, I want to do the Matrix. The Matrix. Matrix. I think we all want to jump into that. <laughs> we, got, we got Matrix. Then we've got it's the 25th uh, anniversary. Lucy in the Sky. Yep. And Then we got Gemini Man. Or maybe it's Gemini only the 20th. Man, right. I think it might so, just be. All right. And then we got a full, fully loaded stock coming up. And then after that, we're gonna Matrix fully loaded. We're gonna fall headfirst into Star Wars for at least one or two episodes. We got some Halloween stuff. Yeah, we, we got, got a Halloween got special. We got to talk oh, about, our yeah. Halloween special, which I think we have something the special planned this time. The clip show, as it were. Yeah. I mean, we just repost all all the old episodes yeah, sure. in one episode. Uh, <laughs> anyways, um, we'll figure it out. Thanks everyone for coming along this extra long journey with us this time. And uh you could say it was a 2 billion mile journey sure. to out there and now we're now you're back in your living room. Colin's hopefully. about the nucus back to earth. Yeah. Yeah. I'm nucus. Gonna... <laughs> nucus back to earth. Captain. Nucus captain. Anyways, thanks Nuke for me, daddy. Thanks for <laughs> <it>. <laughs> uh, All right, Colin. That's getting Engage. cut. <laughs> Give us a proper sign-off so I can just cut that. <laughs> However you're listening to this, please follow us and leave a review. I cannot stress how important that is. We like doing what we do, and we want to keep doing it, so help us out. And thank you for listening. Until next time. Just to be clear, in the movie, he wasn't divorced. He just said, I need some space. <laughs>